Hi, I'm Chip, and this is the Two Minute Time Lord podcast number 212, or May the 30th. This is a time dilation edition, a special interview from the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance with Sophie Aldrin, who played Ace in the final two years, plus Dragonfire, of the classic series, and a whole mess of big finish audios. This interview was conducted by me along with Mike Faber and Mike Gordon from the Earth Station One podcast and Dr. Scott Bigui, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, sir, from the Articles of the Shadow Proclamation podcast. This interview is about 20 minutes and Sophie was just great. And it all begins as we're sitting cross-legged all around the floor as she's sitting on the couch in the con suite. I love the way that you're all sitting cross-legged on the floor, like, you know, little boy scouts. Around this. <laughs> I feel like I'm holding court. <laughs> tell us a story, Sophie. <laughs> yeah. Tell us, tell us. We, we're going to take about, uh, hopefully no more than about 15 minutes or so, just asking you questions about your experiences, um, both as Ace uh, back in the 80s and since then. Um, I think one of the things that we'd all agree with is that you just come across as such a wonderful ambassador for Doctor Who. Um, you've been so warm and open and engaging to everybody at the convention this weekend. What is it about Doctor Who that you've, you've, you've clearly still got so much affection for this show that you did 20 years ago? Yes, I do. I think one of the reasons is that it was the very first TV that I'd ever done. So. For me, it holds a real special place in my career. It was a very exciting time for me because I'd come from the back row of the chorus in a, in a musical to suddenly being this sort of, you know, uh, one, one of the most iconic roles on British TV. And um, so I can remember still so many details of that. Um, also, the whole thing about working with Sylvester, meeting him, you know, we're still great, great friends after all this time. And it's, uh, that was a wonderful relationship to have had. And um, I can't really think of anything about my years on Doctor Who that I didn't um, enjoy. or I found it very challenging at times. I found it an incredible learning curve because, of course, I'd not done any television before. Um, and working with these great actors of British stage and screen like Sheila Hancock and Dinsdale Landon and... Jean Marsh and I mean the list goes on, Sylvia Sims um, for me it was a chance as a young actress to really look at them and go wow right I'm going to learn everything I can from them and to have this amazing experience um, for these sort of two and a half years of my life Very cool, it's like when you think of your character Ace, it's like so many people were like, oh, she's beautiful, she's great. And you were one of the first companions not to just be, oh, doctor, what is this? You actually stood up to the Daleks and such. That, you know, so many girls started identifying with your character and such. And it was the first time on Doctor Who. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I was very proud to be this character who was very strong, who had her own opinions who was, in a way, being a bit, uh, being sort of mentored by the Doctor. Um, and that very quickly became a feature of the relationship between Ace and the Seventh Doctor, which Andrew Cartmel, the script editor, picked up on and ran with. And um, he was really instrumental in this development of Ace's character as more than um, a 
cipher, as some of the Doctor Who companions had become, um, into a, a fully rounded character in her own right. Uh, so much so that at times, you know, you felt that the Doctor sort of sometimes took a bit of a back seat, you know, like the story of Curse of Fenric was all about Ace and her, where she'd come from and her background. And of course, as a young actress, I was absolutely delighted by this. And also delighted by the way Sylvester, in his generosity, would not mind about me having a lot of screen time and the realisation that actually this relationship between the Doctor and the Companion, as we see now in the, in the current series, is actually um, very good for the show and it really kind of drives the plot, it, the dynamic between the Doctor and the Assistant is one of the things that the audience is most um, loving about the show, I think. And, um, and it, was, it was really well-rounded in, in um, Ace's case. Uh, uh, the, it's been commonly said that without Ace, there could have been no Rose Tyler or Amy Pond. You know, there's that sort of... Ace is sort of the role model for that kind of act. Oh, absolutely, exactly. absolutely. Without, without Ace, a, a lot of what happened in your era... It set the tone for what came after. It, it, the Confidential talks about how, oh, look, now we have Daleks who can fly, and yet I'm thinking, wait a minute, you guys did that first. Mm -hmm. They talk a lot about, in Matt Smith's era, how they have an arc that reaches over multiple seasons, but they did that first with you. Uh, you know, uh, the Curse of Fenric refers right back to Iceworld. Yes. It's, it's, so it's a... It's, it, sometimes I feel that your run was the first modern telling of Doctor Who, at least from my perspective as, a, as a, somebody who came to the show late. Um, how did it feel when you all were making it on set? Did it feel like you all were trying to do something different? I guess because we kind of, I'd lost touch with, Doctor, with watching Doctor Who. Um, I hadn't seen any of the Colin Baker era. I was a student and we didn't have a TV and things like that. So I wasn't really that much aware that it was so different until I started going to conventions and talking to fans and realising that, oh, hang on a minute, we are doing something a bit different here. And then by the time we got up to shows like, for example, Greatest Show in the Galaxy, where there were a lot of young people who were cast and um, uh, we all kind of really blended together. It was, it was a very good time for us in terms of, sort of the social life of the Doctor Who cast, if you like, and the crew. We, do, we used the same crews all the time, so uh, that was... And, and everything was very much bonded and very much... You felt that you were working on this project that was you know, was greater than the sum of its parts, if you like. Um, and it was a very, very good atmosphere on set. I think partly led by Sylvester, who was determined that everybody should have a really good time when they came on the show, because we'd heard stories of other shows that were going on at the time, long-running shows, where people would go in, guests would come in, and, and they weren't really welcomed that much, and they were sort of left to their own devices. Well, Sylvester and I decided that this was going to be like a sort of bit of a long party, if you like, <laughs> and that um, everybody was welcome and that we were going to make everybody have a great time because I think that's a key in, in um, good TV productions and, and theatre and everything. It's a very... Um, you're, very you're, you're, you're thrown together in a very close way for these few weeks. And the more you can get on with people, and then it, I think something good comes out of that. 
I am shocked, shocked to hear that Sylvester wanted people to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because the chemistry with you and Sylvester was like instantaneous from your very first scene. It was just like it clicked and everything. Because no offense about the young lady who played uh, Mel. Yeah, Bonnie Langford. Yeah. Mm. It just didn't seem to click that well between Sylvester and her. You guys, it was just like right from the very first scene, it was incredible. Yes, I think because Mel's character had really been created to go with Colin's Doctor, very sort of 1980s sort of, and and I think that Sylvester is very eccentric anyway, and his whole style of acting and his kind of, his background of politics and sort of, it, it was much more akin to my kind of radical student politics sort of you know I, I think we kind of got each other um, and that kind of came through um, not that Bonnie wasn't fantastic because I have to say she was so kind to me because she was very very experienced compared to me who was just walking into it for the first time and in fact I mean I, I, I looking back I can see that she could have behaved really badly towards me you know here I was coming in complete newcomer I was taking over her place if you like and um, she could have been really beastly but she was really very lovely to me we got on very well actually and I loved that in Dragonfire that Ace takes on a kind of protective role towards her you know calling her donut which is (laughs) just so funny because she's so skinny you know and um, (laughs) that's a typical Ace thing somebody was asking me earlier at the convention about why did I always call the doctor the professor and it was the similar humor that that you know that Ace calls her donut which is that uh, you know she knows it will wind people up you know like she calls the she calls him professor because he's told her not to you know and that's what teenagers do. Did you come up with Professor? I don't think I did. I think that was already in the original script, but that's something we then built on that that was going to be one of the character traits. It seems so organic that you just figured that that's how you would relate to him. Mm, exactly. Yeah. It seemed very natural. Mm, mm-hmm. It did. And, and I think, again, that was Andrew Cartmel um, guiding the writers. Um, Ian Briggs, uh, his first script, Dragonfire, was, you know, it was a great, uh, a great character development. And um, he based the character of Ace on three real girls that he actually knew and worked with at, um, at a youth theatre. And um, they actually came along to the, to the studio to meet me. And, um, and they were really pleased with the character as well. And, um, because, you know, I was nearly ten years older, playing younger. And I wasn't quite sure what, you know, teenagers were into or were doing. So... It was great to have their endorsement and then to have the endorsement of lots of girls who wrote to me and said, hooray, at last, a young female character who we can really identify with. And, um, you know, that was very exciting for me to be um, really relating to people in that way because suddenly realising, oh, okay, she is very realistic and this is quite a new thing. and for young girls to sort of be able to identify with that strength and the sort of the flawed um, personality, the sort of all the facets of her char- of her characterization was really exciting for me. Now, if I, under- if I understand correctly, you know, television wasn't on your radar as you left university. You were interested in children's theater, mm. right? Um, what what was it about that that sort of compelled you? Where 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 did you see your 
uh, career going before you uh, got this call about this show? Yes, it was. A, uh, it's a very odd career I've had because people have tried me to put me in a box, and I just seem to be breaking out of the boxes all the time. But um, when I left university, I sort of had strategies of, um, oh yeah, you need to get your equity card, you need to then get yourself an agent, uh, and then you know the agent will help you to you know to find work. So um, I first thing I did was uh, I got my equity card by singing in working men's clubs around Manchester um, which was a real baptism of fire <laughs> I mean it was a fantastic training because there was I this young girl going into these very male dominated clubs um, some of them quite sort of bigoted and you know um, some of them not allowing women into the bars and things or that sort of thing um, and there was me going into these places and singing Everly Brothers numbers and you know and it was a real education and they're very discerning the audiences there so if they don't like you that's it you know um, so yeah a good a, a good background um, I had to be very strong and to develop a very thick skin and then after that I realized I needed to get an agent the agents are in London so then I moved back down to London and I looked in the back of the stage newspaper uh, which advertises for various roles and I saw, I think it was in there I saw this advert for um, uh, it was a children's theatre company and they were looking for somebody and that's, so I kind of if it had been something else I would have gone for that, you know, mm -hmm. it's just one of those things my career has been a sort of combination of chance and knowing where I wanted to go but you know, but things kind of coming to me or whatever, and I've just gone yes, yes, yes. I'm Sylvester said he never says no, um, <laughs> and I suppose I've had that sort of attitude as well. That well, it'll be interesting, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, then I got into this children's theatre company, and then I realised I needed to get an agent. So I um, got myself into a two-hander production of a Dostoevsky play, very heavy, very different, called um, Underground Man, which was based on a Dostoevsky short uh, novella called um, Notes from Underground. And uh, it was up on the, uh, the top floor of a pub, a little pub theatre in Leicester Square. And I figured, well, if I do that, then I could write to agents and maybe coming home they could come to the play. And sure enough, several agents came and, uh, you know, said yeah they'd be interested and I chose one of those agents and then was uh, I was with her when she um, put me up for various roles um, Fiddler on the Roof in Manchester and that's what I was doing when she put me up for Doctor Who uh, You have never been too far away from the character of Ace um, with the with the BBV um, video projects Big Finish Russell T. Davies uh, put in a line in uh, Death of the Doctor on the Sarah Jane Adventures where um, Sarah Jane is speculating on what different character, different companions have done with their lives since. Uh, and there was a little bit of wiggle room where she's saying that she thinks that this is what happened. And she thinks that uh, your character had started a charity organization, which uh, at the Q&A yesterday you suggested that that 
wasn't that didn't quite fit your vision of, uh, of Ace. No, sorry, Russell. <laughs> so I'm not uh, buying that one. <laughs> so if you had the opportunity, if um, Stephen Moffat or a future producer says um, says, let's look let's look in on let, let's let's look in on Ace. In your mind, what would Ace be doing now? Oh gosh, that's so hard to say. I mean. She certainly wouldn't be married with kids, would she? She wouldn't have settled down. Mm -hmm. I can see her as some kind of freedom fighter or um, uh, something. I mean, charity, maybe she's doing something like... Um, maybe it's a cover. Greenpeace. <laughs> or maybe it's a cover, yeah. <laughs> that, that would be good, to be a, a cover. She's secretly Secret working with her unit or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that would be cool, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. But how, how, would, how would Ace have matured? I think she'd probably have gone very much the way that she is with the um, uh, the audios, the big finish audios with Hex. Um, slightly hard-bitten, slightly kind of fed up with the Doctor in many ways, that he's, you know, gosh, taking them into danger again, you know, <laughs> just for his own ends, you know, sort of... So she, quite slightly cynical, but still loving adventure and, uh, you know... She'd do anything to be with the Doctor and to protect him. Um, but she kind of, she's had her vision cleared a bit about, you know, the way he operates. It's not the starry-eyed young girl that no. she was originally. No. The, right. death, the death of the Doctor was an excellent story, and it really showcased what maybe Ace was doing or what could be doing. I, yeah. I thought that was great. Yeah, the death in the family, yeah. It was, that was an excellent one, I thought, and it was very... Um, good for me as an actress to have to do something uh, to play almost like a dual role um, and yeah that was I, I'm very fond of that big finish that was a very good one I thought really well do you well have written. any new ones coming up I think so I don't quite know where you are with your releases but we did a whole load of recording last year nice and Perfect. I've got very confused about um, what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not. So the best thing is probably if I say nothing, because otherwise <laughs> Nick Briggs and David Richardson will kill me. <laughs> well, I think, I think Thin, Thin Ice came out last month, and I think the one after that just came out. Right, yes, so. Thin Ice was good fun to do, because, of course, it was written by Andrew Cartmel and Ben Aronovich. And um, they, uh, they, of course, were the team, the original team. Mm -hmm. So they, more than anyone, knew how to write for the... TV, Ace and Seventh Doctor and uh, and that was great fun to go back to doing that. And Ace gets to interact with Russians once again. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. Ace likes her Russians, doesn't she? Yeah. My son would be remiss if I didn't bring up about Bob the Builder. Oh, Bob the Builder, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, he's 11 yet, but we grew, you know, we grew up oh. with it and he was like, when I told him that we were going to be talking to you, he says, she was on Bob the Builder. Yeah. Yes. My four-year-old nephew as well. So. It's very strange because, for some reason, they cast mainly um, English voices to do the American accents. So <laughs> there, there I am, dodgy American accents and all. But I, but it's an icon, another iconic show. Exactly. You know, it's just so wonderful to have been involved in such an amazing show, playing an orange dumper truck. What more can you want? Exactly. <laughs> Your kids must think that. It's just amazing for their mom to have been a Bob the Builder voice, a Doctor Who character. Um, is it, 
does this actually impact them and you all as a family? You know, they're, they're yeah, you'd, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But they seem singularly unimpressed with me, I have to say. <laughs> Just like any other kids and their mum. But, um, yeah, I think secretly they think it's, it's quite cool. They, their favourite character that I've played so far in a, a cartoon is um, Dennis the Menace, which is not your Dennis the Menace, no, but no. Um, it comes from a... a a comic, very long-running comic in England called The Beano and um, Dennis the Menace is this character with uh, dark spiky hair and uh, and a stripy jumper and he does naughty things and uh, he used to get the slipper at the end of every episode <laughs> but they can't do that now and he terrorises Walter the softy um, and we had such fun making it, it was great fun but the, the great thing for my kids is that because I did that they both have, they each have a free subscription to the Beano comic. Oh, so wonderful. I don't know, it keeps going on and on. Maybe it's going to be for life, I don't know. That's so that's good. why they think I'm cool. Uh, one last question, because I know that we need to wrap things up for you, and you have a, you have a lot of traveling ahead of you. Um, you mentioned at the Q&A yesterday about the family of Doctor Who, um, cast members and pr- production staff. Um, and I was wondering if you'd uh, say a little bit about that, the fact that even though you and Sylvester were at the end of the classic run, um, there are so many people that you've encountered along the way who were part of that same story and that same experience. What's it meant to be part of that sort of fraternity or sorority or however you'd put it? Yeah, it's, it's so extraordinary to think that when I was a kid growing up, watching Doctor Who, watching John Pertwee and... Um, Liz Sladen and Katie Manning, the, the, the thing that I would actually meet them, let alone meet them, but also to become their friends. And uh, the, I mean, it just wouldn't have occurred to me at all. But it is so true. And it's thanks to you, the fans, because otherwise we'd never get to meet, because of course the place we meet is at conventions and signings. And so you've created this family, really. Um, and it is extraordinary how we're all very different all the companions are very different all the doctors are very different but this one thing that unites us all is this program you know this crazy program that we've been involved with and somehow we um, we just all really get on well together and we share this sort of common experience and even now you know the, the new guys you know the um, when you do bump into them it's a it's a real bond I mean um, I bumped into Karen Gill and I went to do a recording for short trips for Big Finish and um, the person was running a bit late and they said oh really sorry Sophie you've got to wait and I said oh who's who's in there they said Karen Gill and I said I'll wait <laughs> and uh, out she came and I thought I wonder if she'd sign something for me because I think oh, she's, awesome. I, I love the character of Amy Pond and I really I really like um, Karen as well and uh, she came bouncing out and uh, I sort of introduced myself and said, oh, I'm Sophie Aldred, I played Ace in the classic Doctor Who. She said, oh, you're Ace! She said, and she jumped up and down and clapped her hands. She said, oh, my mum will be so excited, I love you. <laughs> and uh, so we had photos together and it was extraordinary. And then I bumped into her again last summer at um, the Edinburgh Festival. It was really weird. We went, I went to see a show with my husband and we were sitting in this crowded hall and... Uh, and um, and then I just turned around like that and Karen came in and sat just right behind me and uh, so anyway we had a little chat afterwards and 
was extraordinary. We must have some kind of magnetic attraction for each other, <laughs> us Doctor Who people. But it sounds a bit corny, the Doctor Who family, but that's what it is. It really is. Well, it only makes sense that the one who blew things up and the one who picked a lot of locks would uh, get <laughs> on famously. Yeah. I really do, all of us do, really appreciate your time with us. It's been wonderful seeing and hearing you here in Atlanta. Exactly. Well, thank you thank very you. much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. No, it was great because you've been very accessible to everybody and you know everyone's been like, she's wonderful. She's oh, great. well, that's very nice. I'm just me. <laughs> And that's your time dilation edition of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. Find more episodes, including genuinely two-minute episodes, at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com or on iTunes. I'm on Twitter at Numeral Two Minute Time Lord and Facebook.com slash Numeral Two Minute Time Lord. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you in a couple of days.